0: Hello everyone, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us uh, this week as well. Hope you've had a wonderful autumnal rainy week in Luxembourg. It has been quite blustery, but I know our gardens needed it after. Well, actually, summer wasn't that great. (laughs) No, it's been rather wet, been rather windy as well in places. on this week's show, we're going to talk about startups. I've got a couple of guys coming back to tell us about their success, and I also have a Finnish man in the studio. We also have our colleague Sasha Keogh, who's going to give us a round of the news. Uh, and just to mention that, I was uh, very privileged to be on a panel for a change last night at ISL, where we spoke about creativity and innovation. And perhaps creativity and innovation is a topic that we can discuss again this week. So my my guests the speaker, Antoine Welter and Xavier Cole from Circular Lyon, you might remember them from before, and Matthias Mayenpa, who is the co-founder of Videobots. So welcome to all my guests.
1: Thank you very much for having us. Thank
0: great you. to have you back and great to welcome you here, Matthias. Sasha, we're going to start with a little reflection of the week's news. And gentlemen, if you want to add, of course, as mentioned, you can add
2: at any point. We're going to start with Gaza, of course, the story of the moment. Yes, I mean, it is, as you say, it's the story of the moment. I mean, uh, I, I'm always very conscious that by the time you do a weekly roundup, uh, you know, a lot of things will be out of date. So not to do a like a, this is what's actually happened this week. But I do have to mention that the they, Israel has agreed to um, implement these humanitarian four hour pauses in fighting. Um, so that is, you know, under pressure from the US and, and the West, uh, you know, there's been a lot of criticism. Um, they have at least agreed to allow some aid in um, and to stop the fighting for those four hours a day.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, And uh, AFP, they were embedded with Israeli forces.
2: Yes, yeah, so this is the first um, news agency that I've seen that have gone into Gaza embedded with the Israelis. Um, so um, it's a very moving description actually because they went in with a. An Israeli tank um, and so it's very descriptive how they went through northern Gaza and the, the, the destruction that they saw um, and what's very interesting is of course they were taken into a building which is destroyed but clearly showed that it was an arms factory as well as uh, bedrooms for children. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? So, this, you know, the Israelis, this is the thing that they have been talking about, of course, is that Hamas is hiding civilians, you know, in in places, in hospitals where they are also um, producing weapons. So, you know, there was scuba diving equipment, there were children's bedrooms and also arms. So um, this, you know, this is obviously a very one-sided take on Gaza, but... If
0: that's it's very unusual, because I've just finished a book called The Milkman by Anna Burns, which is based in Northern Ireland, in the right. troubles of Northern Ireland. And seeing it from the point of view of living in that, it's an extraordinary book. I highly recommend it. Uh, but uh, we, we, we being here, it's impossible for, even them being there, it's impossible for one side to literally know the life of the other side without living it.
2: Absolutely, and and there has to be a lot of sympathy for the humanitarian suffering. I mean, that's that's a given, isn't it? Yeah. That uh, you know we can't. But uh, I think as as there have been more and more protests in in Europe. I mean, there's a huge protest march planned uh, on Saturday in in London, which is causing a lot of controversy. Yes, um, you know, uh, and obviously sympathy is is with the children that are caught in the in the in the conflict and and with the innocent. And so, I. I think you also do need to remember there are, are other sides. So it's interesting to see a, a, a news crew, which is very objective, mm. or try to be very objective from AFP going in with the Israelis. And the same, at the same time, I think it's also important to remember the hostages yeah. um, and, you know, what they're going through. And um, so, you know, there was a demonstration in Luxembourg on, on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And we hear these numbers, like, you know, 240 hostages, which compared to the numbers of, of casualties in Palestine at the moment in the Gaza Strip don't seem so huge but they they walked with placards with the names and some information and photos of each hostage because you know. There are people still. Everybody, they are still people. Everybody
0: is a person and, and, and it the must numbers be, don't
2: always reflect that. But and it, it must, must be terrifying you know of some of them are also children and you know so uh, you know it's it's very difficult to to sort of make any, but I, I don't think we're asked to make any judgment calls. But uh, you just see it and want it to stop, don't you? And um, you know there was a humanitarian conference in Paris this week, and as uh, Xavier Bettel from Luxembourg was also there, um, and he he said we we you know we're not so stupid. We we can't call for it, Mr Netanyahu to have a ceasefire as of tomorrow, but we can call for these. Pauses at least. Mm-hmm.
0: It reminded you uh, of the hostage crisis, uh, nineteen eighty six to nineteen ninety one, of John McCarthy. He was kidnapped
2: in Lebanon. I remember this as well. Do you? I wondered I if it was too long ago um, because it really affected me at the time. I Maybe mean, for it is... some
0: of the men in the room, but not for me. <laughs>
2: yes, I mean uh, this was because I, I think because I, I worked, I started uh, working in a news organization for Reuters, and uh, so John McCarthy was from our, our rival news organization WTN at the time and he was taken hostage in Lebanon in 1986 so it was it was before my time but um, he wrote a very moving book with his then girlfriend after after he was released after five years mm. as did Brian Keenan who was the Irish hostage there were four of them that yeah. were taken hostage and kept in absolutely ghastly conditions in Lebanon often in solitary confinement and they it just reminded me of that sort of um thinking Ter- about the Terry hostages Waite. and and Terry Waite and what they and Terry Anderson yeah. the American hostage what they went through and described so well you know this this permanent fear of death and being kept in solitary confinement i mean the you know the mind games that they were playing the Moments that they had given up, the moments of madness, mm-hmm. especially with Brankin and he described that very well. Um, and I th- and I was thinking, how how do you keep the strength to sort of keep going?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, I suppose the difference there is that those four men were were not living in that area from childhood, whereas the hostages that have been taken. Um, are living constantly with this fear of war on their doorstep. So it's a different, I I mean, I I just can't even imagine what it's like for children to be growing up. And we know that there's intergenerational trauma as well. It's carried epigenetically, etc. So, I mean, for the whole region, I I, I am just so terribly, terribly sad. And I, I mean, I'm not the only one to think of no quick fix. But I have been actually on TikTok of all things this week. And there's an awful lot of people trying to explain the situation from both sides. So at least, at least there is a conversation about the situation. And some people are really trying to put out facts there. I know it's, it's very true difficult. because it's a
2: it's a subject. I was very shocked to learn that that you don't learn at school at all mm. because it's considered too too complicated and difficult to to teach children at school. And um, you know if that's the case and you have no background, um, then it's impossible to try and understand what is going on. You know why why is there so much support for for Israel? Why is there this this line? You know Israel has a right to defend itself. Well, there. I mean, you know, the you see what's happening and read more like uh, what's happening in the. And, um, you know, especially for young people, it's horrifying if there's no historical context.
0: Yeah, and the historical context is long and difficult to understand. Well, let's move back to Luxembourg. Uh, Another not greatly happy
2: note, but um, nothing compared to that. Uh, We're sliding into a recession well, this is very interesting because apparently the, this data was only available to the politicians who are currently in um, coalition negotiations. And obviously the CSV, so Luke Frieden's party, had made big tax promises before. Mm. And um, and because the last figures that w- we as the general public heard in April was that um, that Luxembourg was not I mean, there was no talk of of, of going into minus. I think it was 24 percent exactly. Um, so this this we weren't privy to this information, and this explains a lot because um, the yeah. <laughs> you know the negotiations are all going on for longer than we thought, and there was an interview on in RTL this week with the well, still now, uh, Min- economy minister, Franz Fayot, mm. saying that he is very worried that they're going to come out and, and there's, you know, the word austerity is being banded around. Because mm. um, if Luxembourg is going into recession, obviously this completely changes promises that were made before the elections. And- How
0: unusual. <laughs> 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 I thought that only happened in other countries. <laughs>
2: mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah so they are kind of grim economic uh figures for Luxembourg too I know Germany has already slid into recession so it's 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 EU- wide and Luxembourg is not exempt mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it, it does also raise this question of, of poverty within Luxembourg
0: yes it does and it's something that we spoke about last week um the asylum seeker is sleeping rough uh, and the fact that actually on the point of poverty even though Luxembourg, GDP-wise, were doing super well within europe in the eurozone i think we're number one gdp one in seven are still at risk of poverty because of the cost of living in luxembourg
2: yes so this is the highest share um of the working population Mm. who are at risk of poverty and i think that's what makes the big difference is that there is not a very high uh number of unemployment Mm. um but this is that people working can can still not afford uh yes housing is obviously the the main thing um so I think it's it's quite interesting because it does rank very low. And there are a lot of people, um, I mean, I'm mixing it all up now, but there are a lot of people who are going to these soup kitchens now yeah. who are not homeless and unemployed. They are in jobs, but they still can't afford to, um, you know, it's get an enough place to live. food and and decent accommodation. So th- this is what's making a massive difference.
0: And we should say the name of this is the. If I'm
2: well, <laughs> please help me here. It's Aktion. Ah uh, well, this is this is again it's something slightly different, yeah. separate. Which is the this opens next week, um, yeah. which is a, re, a shelter it, at the airport, which just opens for the winter months to take uh, to, so that or homeless this. people yeah. have a bed and some warm food overnight. And normally it opens in December, and they're opening it early this year mm. because the the numbers are so high. Also. With the uh, refugees uh, that we know about, who've been sleeping in tents, um, that you know they they have nowhere to go because the the male refugees unaccom- uh, sorry male single refugees that have come and and asked for asylum in another country are no longer given priority mm. uh, for shelter in the refugee. Um, um, reception centres in Luxembourg. So th- again, this is this is really sad because they they there's nowhere for them to go. So they've ended up in tents under the bridge. Apparently, there's only one tent left um, because the private donations um, are, have put them up in a hotel in the north of Luxembourg. But I think it's all coming together that you know the the housing prices have gone up. People can't afford their rents. The cost of living is going up. Plus, we've got a huge influx of refugees. And um, yeah, it's making for a major social issue in Luxembourg, like in many other countries in Europe.
0: Yes. Um, There's a phrase here which I
2: hadn't come across before, and I haven't googled it yet. Dublin status refugees. So the, the Dublin status, that is that you uh, request asylum in the first country, first EU country that you come to.
0: I, I need to figure out. I, I, I
2: will go into a little. bit I of think a it was just hole. this agreement yeah. that then, if you if you land in Italy, then you should you ask asylum in Italy, and then you should remain in that country until your claim has been processed. But what's happening is obviously because countries mm. like Italy and uh, Malta, all these kind of countries, they're are hit getting, first. They're hit first, mm. and people are just moving straight on.
0: Of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, moving on to that, you mentioned it already, coalition negotiations, they're apparently nearing an end. Apparently, Luke Frieden has said, by the end of
2: next week, we should be there. Yes, I mean, it feels like it's a long time since the elections, doesn't it? Yeah, it it feels like a very long time. Um, But, you know, they also had a week off, the school holidays, um, there there were no negotiations during that time. Mm. Um, As far as we know. Officially, (laughs) yes. So they're back in uh, Zeningen Castle this week and uh, apparently will start bashing out what really interests us is who gets what ministry and who is going to be our next prime minister. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I... I keep reading, you know, tip favorite, you know, tipped is Luke Frieden, and then and then use, you, you know, there's a lot of chat, isn't there? Would Will Xavier Bettel be happy to take a secondary role? Is he going to stay in? I don't know. Um, yeah, at the moment, the gossip is he'll be foreign minister, but we don't know. We d- we don't know exactly. So may- maybe it, that will be the case, and we should finally find out next week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well. Okay, drawing
0: a line under all things politics and moving on to something that is it's super amazing in New York, a team of surgeons have
2: performed the world's first eye transplant, entire eye transplant. Yes, so this is this is a first because I thought I had read that there was something, but of course that was just a retina transplant that they have been doing, which is now quite com- common. But you, you <laughs> can, you know, you. Um, but this is a full eye transplant, and this poor man he was a US veteran and he hit uh, a high voltage cable and was terribly injured so in fact had half a face transplant of which also uh, for the first time they've they've done an eye and um, it was a 21 hour operation Sam and I were talking about it this morning how how do surgeons kind of keep going do you when it's something's so important do you kind of say oh I'm gonna have a a little sleep, I don't no. think so. Um, <laughs> don't. And um, and very sweetly, I heard I heard him on the radio this morning, and they don't. Kn- I mean, it's successful in as much as it's there and there's blood going to the eye. They don't know if he can, will be able to see through it yet. Mm. But it's such a breakthrough, um, you know, that it's even possible, you know, in the future. Um, But very sweetly, he's already got sort of sense of smell back and he said he could kiss his wife. So it's a very sweet interview and such a good news story, you know, because this, This is a possibility for people who lose their eye then.
0: It's amazing. And we should say his name is Aaron James. Yes. Or Aaron James, however he pronounces his first name. So we wish him all the best in his recovery and we hope that sight will return. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Massive congratulations to that team of surgeons as well. And the final story that you've added in is (laughs) Patrick Dempsey.
2: (laughs) Patrick Dempsey of Grey's Anatomy, uh, famously of of Grey's Anatomy, has one sexiest man alive. And um, I can get behind it. He's 57. So um, and he said that uh, he was glad it had happened at this point in his life. So I thought this was really sweet. But it started uh, an um, unbelievable discussion here in the radio and uh, everywhere about, um, you know, who were the leading men now who are actually under 40 because... uh, you know, people like him. Maybe you know they, Well, us older ones said maybe said that they don't make them like that anymore, and uh, that got a lot of criticism. Um, and um, and so we were desperately trying to come up with with men who were as as handsome or as sexy as Patrick Dempsey. And yes, the the older ones couldn't come up with one, but uh, the uh, the younger team members were outraged that people like Adam Driver or. We're not up there.
0: I'm sure they can come up with it. Well, they're all in the room, obviously, here with us today.
2: Yes, exactly, (laughs) exactly. That is not bad, is it? At 57,
0: amazing. Yeah, men can get away with aging wonderfully well. It's harder for women, I think. But yeah, maybe things are changing. Things are changing. (laughs) We're we're aging defiantly. Well,
2: I heard that gray, uh, turning grey for women in the workplace was a power move. So oh, I'm quite happy to hear that.
0: Excellent. Okay, this is <laughs> I, not that I've
2: become very powerful. Thank you. You, <laughs> are,
0: you are our powerhouse of news, Sasha, as always. Thank you. Thank you. The Lisa Burke Show. Now, moving on to the guests that I have with me today. As mentioned, I've got Antoine Velter, Dr Xavier Kohl and also Matthias Mayenpa. I'm going to start actually with Circulion, which is Antoine Velter. He started his career as a consultant for large corporations and SMEs, small, medium enterprises, and a CEO and co-founder of Circulion. He and his co-founder, Xavier Kohl, in 2010. 21 set out to revolutionize the battery value chain to make battery recycling ecologically and economically viable. Xavier Kuhl, uh, he did his PhD in chemical engineering at ETH in Zurich. He has product development experience at DuPont and Paul Wirt and entrepreneurial experience at Entrepreneur First. Now, I already know that I've interviewed you both at the beginning of this idea and I already felt the excitement there. And of course, we're back now because you've got some incredible funding behind you. You've won all sorts of competitions for startup, this, that and the other. So we'll, we'll come back to all. Of that but and, and that's really what I want to talk to you about, this entrepreneurial journey. But for those who didn't listen first time around, give us a flavor of Circulion. What's it about?
1: Yeah, so thank you very much for having us again here, Lisa. Um, what is Circulion about? Uh, what we enable is an automated way to process the vast amount of batteries that are in our economy. I mean, if you look around, not only our mobility is being electrified, also our households um, and all sorts of means of life are being electrified. So a lot of batteries coming in. Um, but between 2019 and 2030, the amount of batteries will have multiplied by 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's pretty easy to um, understand that we can't handle those batteries with the processes we have today, which are very old school. Um, but we want to uh, build a business that kind of like works like Lego. So we take a battery apart, we look what parts we can reuse and those that we, we reuse and the ones that um, need to go to recycling, we cleanly separate them, the different components, and we enable them... Uh, a clean recycling
0: and where did this idea come from
1: this idea originated with
3: initially Antoine came up with a couple of ideas and then we went for long walks and then we boiled down to what the mission and core vision for Circulion is all about so back in 2021
0: yeah which is not that long ago It might feel like a long time ago to you because you've built your business so much, but actually it's really not that long ago. And we're talking about a period of time where it's kind of in the middle of COVID. And I think you'd moved back to Luxembourg for family reasons. Um, And so you you brainstormed together on these walks, these long walks, and you came up with Circular. What were the other ideas that you were talking about at the time?
1: So I think... the, the walks were very long so we had a lot of time to brainstorm um, and it was during COVID. you're right uh, i think what unit unified us was um so coming from the technology side me from the business side was let's create something that really matters right we knew we were decently smart um and we wanted to use those brains to actually change something so that when we're 70 plus we don't look back and say hey we didn't even try um, so that was i think the the key motivator um and then all of the ideas were there were quite a few, but you have to kill kill a lot of your ideas. Um, and I think all of them were around climate tech. And then we decided in um, in the battery space to do it because Xavier had read a lot of academic papers on why it makes sense. This is still also something we want to foster on in Europe is that we do a lot of great research and development in institutes and universities, but we're not good at bringing them to market. That's what we try to... Um, yeah, we try to contribute to that and bring these ideas to market. And on the other hand, um, it's also about um, you know, creating something in Luxembourg that is circular. We, there are strong ambitions to go circular, but we also need to build real solutions, right? Mm-hmm. Just political ideas uh, is not what's going to help us. We need execution. Um, and that's where we come in and try to try to help as good as we can.
0: So you've come up with this uh, great idea, as I know from before. You now have paying customers. Talk to us about who you've got on board with your idea.
1: Yeah, so we we, we segment our customers in three. So it's on the one hand, it's the original equipment manufacturers, the OEMs, so the ones that really produce um, high-scale millions of batteries um, that we work with. We've built up a facility in Germany where we cater to uh, do these projects with our clients. Um, We also work with recyclers together um, and more and more also uh, continuing to expand our battery library. So we started off with micro-ability, power tools, then we moved to electric vehicles and uh, now doing forklifts uh, but also drone batteries. So constantly increasing the portfolio of batteries that our machines or our battery library knows.
0: We need to pause there and actually explain to our audience, uh Kiu Lion, we need to explain the type of battery here.
3: Sure. So let me... S- back for a second and just clearly state the goal of Circularion. So Circulion is all about automatically disassembling the next three billion lithium-ion battery packs for upcycling or for more efficient recycling. So, more concrete, what is lithium-ion battery pack? Everybody has one in their pocket, in their smartphone. You have them in your car. You have them, like Antoine said, in multiple different appliances or products that you use. Batteries are one of the key cornerstones for us to enter a circular economy or economy that also is powered by green electricity. Because the sun does not always shine, the wind does not always blow. So you need to store the energy. That's why we need to have all of those electric batteries. Then the big problem at some point comes. Well, if the battery, they reach the end of life, you notice that at some point you're smartphone batteries has died and you know oh god i need to replace it but what happens afterwards right so humanity has in general been very good coming up with solutions when the problem was like right in their face but we really want to move to this circular economy which means that we need to think now about what we're going to do with all of these batteries that will reach the end of life and right now we're really at the beginning of the entire electrification of our entire economy economy and you know everyone knows well enough that these batteries come out of huge factories automated processes that produce smartphones in the billions electric vehicles last year more than 10 million were sold, uh, were manufactured and it's not scalable if we want to enable the circular economy if we burn them because then we lose all the precious raw materials. Mm-hmm. And it's also not scalable if we have manual workforce to disassemble them. And that's where line comes in. We build robots, specialized machines, and our software and AI modules power the automatic disassembly of those battery packs.
0: I think you're both in your 30s. So you've grown up in a generation where climate change has been in the in conversation all around you, does it surprise you that, and I know you studied engineering, um, chemical engineering, I think it was, does it surprise you that when people are thinking about processes, any type of process, it wasn't always thought about, it was always thought about perhaps to get the best use out of the starting materials, but it wasn't always thought about, not so long ago, to reuse the end products and to kind of pump them in again. Does that surprise you at all?
1: No. No. Agreed, no. Why? (laughs) Not at all. Why? Well, I mean...
0: Given that your whole premise for your idea is to do that.
3: Yeah, but this, uh, I mean, this is like, um, I think some people stated it about electric vehicles. Um, It's now the moment in time where it has reached our collective consciousness that the future of transportation can be electric vehicles. That took a long time. I mean, there were a lot of big U.S. OEMs that produced electric vehicles more than ten years ago, right? But, OEM being uh, original equipment manufacturer, yeah. um, like General Motors. General Motors, right? Um, there was uh, even in Europe big pushes for from tr- from German OEMs that built electric vehicles even before big players today's like Tesla were were around. But it takes that moment that the collective consciousness is aware. That's the future. No, you know,
0: I d- sorry to interrupt you. I just—I t- was at an empowering equity event this week um, about getting more women into venture capital and things like this. One of the stories that came up is many, many years ago when Henry Ford is bringing out his cars, etc. We know they're based on fossil fuels. At the time, women were given electric cars because they were more twee and, and, and obviously that didn't take off because they were for women. But it's funny how things come back, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it's, it's definitely funny. I also have to note back then um it was not possible to manufacture electric vehicles at scale so um but yeah these ideas were around a long a long time ago right yeah um but now i think the collective consciousness has reached a point where we need to think circular you need to think about well if your smartphone breaks down you repair it your clothes you want to have it um eco-friendly produced. you want to have bio-cotton. you ideally want if you buy a, a plastic jacket that the plastic was recycled, right? Yeah. you want to reuse stuff. And that's now entering our consciousness. So now people start to think when they start to design a product, that it needs to have this circular idea in the product itself. It's not only let's build a product, sell it, make money, and then we'll figure out later how we deal with the trash.
0: And is that a point of conversation in engineering schools, in universities where they're teaching
3: I have not a degree in in product design, um, so I think, I just Jesse they talked to a professor from Karl Leuven, Jeff Peters, and he gives a class about design, and I think it has entered um, universities, but that's the only data point I have. It does definitely must have. If you look at, for example, packaging for carton boxes, it's definitely thought about how you package them so that you can recycle the carton and when you receive your packages every day now at your food store it's recycled carton so the people that design those carton boxes they think circular
0: i'm smiling because you're such an engineer you spoke to this professor and and you mentioned that's the only data point i have whereas another person might say that's the only person i've spoken to (laughs) is your sole data point now let's get back to the startup nature of this and the fact that you, you you've become so recognized and you've won incredible awards. I've got a lot of things listed here, but you're also, let's start with the acceleration programs. You're part of a number of them. NYU Frontier Labs, Intel Liftoff, NVIDIA, Shell Startup Engine. So uh, for those who might want to follow your path of entrepreneurial business, how do you do this? How do you join multiple acceleration programs of this level?
1: Uh, So I think what is important to note that we don't do them all at the same time, otherwise <laughs> yeah. it would be too much, too much work. So we started off with the Shell startup engine, which was more about how do you make your business ready to grow? How do you kind of figure out if you have a product market fit or not? Um, then we moved into more technical um, accelerators like the Intel and the NVIDIA, which are very more focused on how do we build big data um, sources that we can also then use to make our machines smart. And then lastly, the one that we are accepted in New York is really about how do we scale up uh, and how do we really make a business that can have a global impact. Um, so they're all triggered at different stages, but I think it's always a good um, a good training um, because also these mentors and you, you missed one. We got coached by Matthias uh, uh, two years ago, I think. Uh, he was our first coach at Fit for Start. I did so, not yeah, know this. A great coach. A, a, a great, the great the coach. best coach we've had yeah, so far. Yeah. I did not uh,
0: know you knew each other. Yeah, of course.
1: Uh, But that's what I wanted to say. You you, you go through different journeys. Uh, It's like when you grow up, you know, you see a a startup is like a kid, you know, you're at the beginning, you're a little baby, you're very, very fragile. And then we're still only a teenager. Um,
0: Well, you're a teenager with a team, a a growing team. At the moment, you've got 34 employees, I think. Yes, that's that's not a little baby or a teenager. That's, that's that's a young family, I would say. And you want to double this in the next 12 months. So talk to us about your team. You've already got a basis, I think, in Berlin and Karlsruhe. Yeah. So you're you're growing fast. Tell us about developing a team. So, so, I think.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot more important than all these accelerator programs you mentioned is, is the team that we're building to really execute on our idea. Right. Getting um, you mentioned before briefly, um, this generation now and people are looking for jobs with purpose and if you can combine a job with purpose with core technology, um, then you get a a very sexy group of people coming together to really solve a huge uh, problem.
0: Well, I think both are important. I think the team is extremely important, like intrinsically important, but I think the acceleration programs are important for taking in new ideas from the outside world globally and also to develop mentorship, perhaps globally as sure. well.
1: That's what I wanted to say. I think the, the the biggest added value of these accelerated programs is getting mentorship by people who've done mistakes before, right? Who, who've, who've been on entrepreneurial journeys and seen why things work, why things don't work. And if Xavier and me can spare with these people, it's incredibly valuable. We save um, uh, it saves us a lot of time, energy, and costs because we can learn, and we can. Um, I think we also both are very eager to spare with these people because it's also just uh, if you like what you do, it's also a very enriching uh, conversation.
0: Can you tell us any of the the main? things that you've learned from these accelerator programs, and of these mentors that you've met with, that could be just general information that's good information for a startup?
3: I can share one, which is higher for attitude, not for skills. It's skills you can teach, but you can never ingrain a better attitude. So that's something I learned through accelerator programs, which is very key. Because you can have a great team, but if it doesn't have the right attitude, I mean...
0: That's a, that's a beautiful comment, actually. So then, let's move to your team. They're based, I think, in two or three places. Luxembourg as well, in fact. Yeah,
1: ma- mainly in Luxembourg. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so, what do they do? I know AI is part of, uh, and building machines as well. So, what do they actually do?
3: All right, Um How deep do you want to go? Uh, Not too deep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, 50% of the time, at least, they sit in front of their PC and we have different teams. Um, We have teams that are in the data and AI team. So they work on building AI models for, for example, detection, um, machine vision.
0: On that, you would have needed to hire for skills.
3: (laughs) Yes and no. If they don't have the right attitude, they will not last with us because you need to promote attitude and, yeah, you, well, you also need skills, right? Yeah. But you, you can always coach skills. Do
4: you, do you find that talent from Luxembourg or do you bring people here? <laughs>
1: Very, very good question. Yes, that's a very um, good that question. That entitles a political answer <laughs> that you mentioned before with housing. No, bs yes, we we we, we, we no do BS. hire people from here, but when we try to attract people to come here, it is tricky because uh, people uh, don't want to live too far from the office because we we try or uh, we don't work nine to five. So uh, you want to be not too far from home, um, and that is very tricky. We've had two people, three. Uh, that have been very far in the interview process and then decided to cancel because the living costs in Luxembourg were too high.
0: That is an extremely important point. And funnily enough, I'm going to be doing a conversation on bringing talent to Luxembourg and the difficulty of this, Matthias. Uh, Just to introduce Matthias, who who, uh, apparently was one of your mentors Mm -hmm. in Fit for Start, which I did not know about, but such is the way that Luxembourg always brings together people who know each other. Uh, Matthias (laughs) Mayenpa, I'm trying my best with this Finnish surname, an experienced serial entrepreneur, startup advisor, yes. turns out he is. And a good one. And angel (laughs) investor in tech startups, track record of transforming and growing B2B service companies. And you're here to talk about Videobot. Please join this conversation. I've got a few more talking points um, with Antoine and Xavier. I I really want to come on the fact that you, after the acceleration programs and and the work that your teams are doing, which we, we haven't got to the end of yet.
3: So, um, Two questions here, Answers, answer your Mathias, questions um, and yours. So team, okay, data and AI, they work with PCs. Let's keep it that way <laughs> um, from front end, back end, um, DevOps, um, data engineer. Then we have classical engineering, which is um, building the end effectors for the robots. So special machines in, in CAD. And then we have the entire automation team that in short, make the robots move and machines move in the m- way we want and then we have the electrical engineering team all about the diagnostics and um, discharging EV battery packs mm-hmm. yes that's like I, I hope there was not uh, that
0: and was his question Matthias's question about where are you finding the talent
3: yes um, you always need to fill up your pipe uh, the Luxembourgish only Luxem the-, the pipe that you get from Luxembourgish candidates is not the fullest and um i think the good thing is those who apply those who apply for positions they usually are more risk-taking and want to have an impact so i think the the data points that we collected um has a bias towards anyway people that want to work in the startup world but to come to your question the the pool is limited we need to look european um to to fill up our hiring pipes it just Luxembourg yeah, is, is too small. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: on top of all of the various accolades you've won, you now have a lot of money coming your way, which is always useful. So seed funding, you, you announced the closing of seed funding of eight point five million euros in October.
1: Correct. Uh, that's that's the easy part, collecting the money. Now, the hard part is spending it wisely, um, and that's what we're working on now.
0: You think it's easy to get money? No,
1: but uh, that's the, the execution is hard. Um, right. to, to know what we're really going to um, make sure that we deploy this money in the way that it also um, has a big impact. Right. That's the the key part. But well, I
0: assume gonna... you got the money with a plan.
1: Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But I think <laughs> convincing to, to, every, everyone who thinks in the startup world that a plan um, always stays the same mm. has never done a startup. Mm. Uh, so I think these plans change, and you have to constantly on a on a on a daily basis or at least weekly basis iterate your plans make sure that you're still on the right way and also make sure that you find the right people to join you on your journey Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day key is team and that's also why we don't just hire in in Luxembourg but also in Germany we work a lot with these universities and where we find a lot of this talent Um, and I think that's very important now to make sure that we spend that money wisely so that we can also take the next steps and become, as you call it, a teenager one day or a young family one day. I
0: think Mm. you're already a young family. But you are one of the examples which I think we should see more of, which is uh, bringing the deep tech from academia to commercialization, realization, which, you know, Europe can do, but it's not the best at doing. So it's great to have this as an example. Uh, I mean, you're from ETH. You have seen, I suppose, ETH have quite a good program of developing this talent.
3: Sure. Sure, it has. There are also other great universities um, out there. And touching on, on this deep tech topic, um, it's very cool if you can present deep tech. For example, last year, um, Xavier Bettel came by to our office, also uh, Franz Fayo, And it's cool to present that. But then the, the hard part, which Antoine tackled, is the execution to bring the right people in to build the product. I mean, three billion battery packs, that's a lot, right? Yeah. And we want to get there. And we need to have the robots that do the right moves. We need to end the end effectors that do the right uh, function. We need to have the vision module detecting the right screws and modules. All of that needs to be synchronized, harmonized. And then it gets really exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I should add that you, your goal is to recycle the 3 billion batteries by 2035. So you've set in place some very strong aims. So what do you think of them, Matthias, if you've already spoken to them?
4: I would love to ask one additional question. Uh, you are talking a lot about building the product. Is that the main challenge? Uh, how, uh, what I mean that you are not talking about sales, marketing and talking with the clients because you are actually in a very critical side for them as well. You are changing their processes, how they run their businesses. So how,
1: how do they? what kind of feedback they give you? They they give us good feedback because they help us define our product roadmap, right? So we build a little bit uh, according to also we talk. We're only three people on the business side in our whole team, right? So we focus really on building technology. Uh, I think on the business side, we've done a good job till now, um, listening closely to what our clients want. What are they willing to pay for, and what are they willing to pay? When are they willing to pay for it? So I think there we've done a pretty good job of listening, and we actually do solve, right, their problem and we enable them to treat these vast amount of batteries because as Xavier mentioned, with their manual processes today, there's a huge tech shortage of uh, workers, right? Mm -hmm. You need uh, highly qualified technicians to take these batteries apart. So labor shortage, um, one problem that we solve. Then the other part is security. They don't want too many people touching these batteries. That problem we solve as well. So actually, we don't spend that much resources on really doing active sales development because we're, we're pretty close or we know already very well for what our clients will pay and that's what we try to roll out at the moment. Mm-hmm.
3: And to comment on that further, on the, the business side, Antoine handles it, but then at some point also the tech team comes in and does the customer development, which means going to, for example, to give you one concrete example, going to recycling sites, doing work shadowing, right? How are they manually doing it and how what do we need to automatize first to enable them to disassemble battery packs at scale? See. One concrete example. Yeah, yeah, but it's,
4: this is the main difference, for example, between uh, Iron and Videobot, because well, you have 35. Well, let's explain
3: what
0: Videobot is.
4: Yes, soon. If I can just say this one, that <laughs> they have 35 employees and 25 are working with the product. We have 25 employees and 15 are working with sales and marketing. So we are kind of like they're, Strategies, so, vice versa, yeah. yeah, and I don't say uh, the other one is better, but it's just a very clear difference.
0: It's a it's a very different product, though.
4: Of course, and that's yeah, you couldn't uh, build with this <laughs> strategy <circle, I> or <laughs> vice versa. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so still, Video Bot. Yeah, yeah, that's a fun story how uh, we found out about this need particular need. So basically me and my co-founder, we have been working for, I don't know, seven years together already. Uh, We have been built up uh, some businesses before as well and uh, sold successfully three companies before. And then we started to do angel investing together. And we are very familiar, especially with the digital marketing tools. So we have invested in chatbots, uh, website builders, etc. And then what we saw like two years ago is that Everything else kind of went into video and audio as well, except uh, websites. So if you check social media, if you want to get their attention, you use videos. Also search engines have gone more and more into videos. YouTube is number two. Google also announced that they heavily invest in videos. So in the future, when we Google, we don't get these boring text links, but actually short from videos.
0: I quite like text. Anyway, <laughs> maybe Yeah, maybe you have,
4: should have them both. But when you go to the websites, it's the same than 20 years ago. It's text and photo. Boring. Uh, companies are struggling with the high bounce rates. People don't find what they are seeking for. They don't understand what the product or service is. Circulion is a perfect example. Uh, it's hard to really explain in a text what you are doing, that the reader understands it, or it's too long and the people will not use that so effort. Videobot. So Videobot is website in videos. Uh, so you can build up for one use case, for example, it's a tool that you publish efficiently short-form videos, mm-hmm. interactive videos.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know the DP party used it in their election campaigning.
4: Yeah, that's true. That's a bit of a unique use case. Mostly we are now uh, working with insurance companies, banks, telcos, etc. But yes, indeed, you can, well, Quite many companies and organizations have a website and a communication plan and we are an efficient way of using videos for that.
0: So you're still quite young, I think, 36 you mentioned, if that's okay for me to say. You said you sold three companies so far.
4: Yeah, me and my co-founder together or separately. Have you you ever had a
0: job which wasn't setting up a company and selling it?
4: Yeah, when I was very young. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) So you've been an entrepreneur most of your life.
4: Yeah. So maybe the story starts 30 years ago uh, when I was six. So my grandparents were farmers and they had also a strawberry field. So when I turned six, they said that, okay.
0: In which country?
4: In Finland. And uh, the strawberry field was my responsibility. I didn't
0: realize Finland had the weather for strawberry growing.
4: Yeah, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) The season, vertical farming back the season <laughs> is not very long. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, in reality, this is the season is maybe two months.
0: Right.
4: Uh, so, yeah, my responsibility. So during the morning, we picked up the berries and then uh, they took me to the marketplace and I was selling there. I didn't get like two euros per hour, but actually I got the money, w- how much I sold. And and that was like the learning because they were entrepreneurs as farmers and then I started already then of course I then didn't understand it, but that kind of like started the entrepreneurial spirit in me.
0: Right. So so you started at six. Okay, let's move on from the strawberry farming. What's next?
4: <laughs> What's next? Uh, all kind of stuff. Like
0: well, I want trick. to know about these three businesses that you've developed. Oh, ah, yeah.
4: Well, trick or treat business was great because that was so easy. in one day you could uh, do so much. But uh, if we go to the adult side, so my co-founder, Ansi, started as an entrepreneur when he, yeah, 2000 or 2001.
0: So, pause, pause. You mentioned trick or treat business. Give me one minute of that.
4: No, no, no. I just mentioned that all kind of entrepreneurial projects when we were young. But yeah, then Ansi started, um, it was the back in the days, you know, in the End '90s, you had website. Uh, web, internet worked in a way that you should, you could use the local phone at least in the Nordics. Yes. And uh, then you could start to book like different kind of domains. And he was living in a single house, like uh, apartment, 25 square meters or something, and just looking around. Oh, there's a TV. TV is called Telku in Finnish. I might book that domain. And then he got an idea that people are watching from newspaper, what's coming from the TV today. And then he kind of made like TV online, online TV guide. And then when the internet came with unlimited monthly subscription, it became a top five website in Finland, because people, all the people started to watch from there, what's coming from TV. And that was his first business. And then I've been in B2B SaaS, like invoicing automation, and let's not waste all the time f- for, for the history.
0: <laughs> I, I, no, but I mean, it's only, I don't want to waste time. I want to kind of see how you do it, how you think of an idea, grow the idea, and at what point do you sell the idea? Mm,
4: I understand. What do you mean by selling the idea or selling the company? Yeah, or? the company ah, okay. with the idea. <laughs> I believe that you don't sell companies, companies are bought. Same applies almost sometimes to the funding rounds. I love Antoine because he's not so happy about, yeah, we raised some funds and stuff because some entrepreneurs in the startup life are more like keen to that. Okay, the goal is to raise money. That's not the goal. It's just the fuel to get to the next step. Mm. And he's always very worried about the execution because that's the thing. And the investors don't pay your salary or the employee's salary. It's the clients after all. So all the focus to the execution, bringing value to their stakeholders. Investors are only one of them. They want like 10x. But if you don't focus on that, focus on what value you bring to your employees, to your clients, all the stakeholders around.
0: Mm-hmm. And you've raised money as well, I know, for Videobot. Not as much as Circulion.
1: Yeah. We have to He's re- more experienced, so he could be more efficient with money.
0: <laughs> oh. Oh, I want to know where you raised the money from, because this is a point of conversation sometimes here in Europe. Where did you get the money from?
4: Yeah, so we haven't used a lot of effort ourselves in raising money, but build up a business. So if a startup entrepreneur or somebody who wants to become a startup entrepreneur, if I can share something, this is what I can share. We had 10 paying clients before we had a bank account. So being oh. super sales and execution oriented, we, had, we are a marketing tech company and we had 20 or 25 clients before we had our own website or own video bot. You, I guess, had uh, almost before and we had filmed our own videos, meaning just that how customer oriented you have to be. And now after 13 months, we have met I would say 1,500 to 2,000 companies, and we have done a lot of mistakes. So but those are the mistakes there. which you actually should do, as well, because from there you learn. But how fastly you do the mistakes, understand them, and you go further.
0: So you're very customer facing, and you've said how much of your team—it uh, it sounds like about two thirds of your team are sales oriented. Have, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Yes, S- sales oriented. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, so- <laughs> So are you developing a product? How do you think about the ideas for your businesses then? Do you think about a need that needs to be filled? Or do you just talk with people and they say, oh, it'd be great to have this? Um, Given that you're so customer facing, and that's such a driver for your business, because you know, if you have the customers, you'll automatically get money.
4: Yeah, and of course we have a product roadmap, uh, roadmap as well, and we are investing a lot to have the best uh, solution in the world concerning websites in videos. Uh, but what we do is what our clients really need, and ninety-five percent of startups fail that they assume that somebody needs something like this, mm. and that's just sad.
0: Mm. So, where do the I- is it, So, going back to my question, did you think of the idea because of conversations you were having? with people or did you Yeah and of course
4: idea? we had a lot of experience on the digital marketing digital marketing tools uh, for companies etc so the idea came a bit from there so for example we invested in few chatbot companies and we were very active on those so we really knew the best practices in many cases concerning pricing go to market how to develop mm. the solution etc but then we went to the clients like as fast as possible we just combined the What consumers want, consume. People want. People want to consume videos, websites are text and photo. Or if something is moving, it's a chatbot, which is text. Let's try it out. And then we started to sell as fast as possible to get the real feedback.
2: Mm, mm
0: -hmm. And then uh, I don't think it was answered by either of you. Where are you getting the funding from?
4: Investors. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um,
0: I want to know in which continent.
3: Europe.
0: Europe. That's good to hear, actually, because that's not what I always hear, in fact.
3: There's a Luxembourgish uh, angel investment group, for example. How are they called uh, specifically? And then there there are a few
4: VCs, etc. Of course, Mm -hmm. you are more specified, so maybe you meet more widely. But we are like Finnish Luxembourgish company. We raised two million. We have one... VC fund from Finland, one VC fund from Luxembourg, and then bunch of angels, half in Luxembourg, half in Finland.
0: So for those who are listening to this, who live outside the world of entrepreneurship, you know, who don't know nothing about venture capital or angel investors, give them a flavor of this world. What's it like from that side, trying to get that money into your company? Because for some people, they've never come across this before in their lives, not even the words.
4: Mm. But that's selling as well. Like everything is getting a great employee great talent that's selling talking with client and educating them to improve their processes that they will upcycle and not only recycle that's everything is selling basically so that's also a pipeline thing as well
0: were the vc people that you spoke to and the um angel investors were they male
1: no we also had (laughs) Uh, We were lucky enough to be a little bit uh, diversified. So the the partner who led our deal at the venture capital firm is a lady. We also had uh, a lady angel investor. Um, So we're we're trying to diversify there. But obviously, I mean, if 10 investors you talk to, nine are male. So that's also, it needs to change. We can't change that. That that is, no,
0: no, no, no. I I ask you just to give me, because in fact, I was at an event this week about... uh, Equity and empowering equity about VCPE etc. Uh, private equity and things. And um, apparently, it is around about ten to fifteen percent that it's female. And there's a mass exodus yep. the age of thirty uh, because they have children, etc. Mm. And and they want to change that because apparently uh, it's easier for a man to get this funding. Um, and actually, the evidence shows that if a, a female startup uh, gets funding, they they generally get more funding if there's a female investor on the other side of the table. But they are more likely to succeed because it's harder for a woman to get the funding. If they get the funding, they are actually more likely to succeed. That's what the statistics say. I'm yeah. only asking this um, because I remember last time I asked you about how many women <laughs> you were bringing in who were doing computer science and the AI part uh, on the we,
1: We've done a, uh, uh, our the team picture that we published uh, for our, our financing round uh, doesn't incorporate. We've, we've, Recruited, um, we've been able to recruit a little bit more diverse or so more more female um, to our team, um, but it's also I think it's just a numbers game, right? In the it, I know if you look it, at it's it, not fault, it's not your fault. School pipeline. Of, uh if you have ten or fifteen percent um, female participants, uh, then you have to get them to apply. Most of them will want to go to a secure job at a corporate and not a more risky job at a at a startup. So I think it's at the end of the day, it's also a numbers game, um, and you still want to. And then you always want the best for your, your your baby, your your young family, how you call it. So you also have to be sure that you get the best people, and you can't just say, "Okay, I, I need to leave my principle of getting the best just to be able to conclude another part." So I think it's something now that we're growing up, where we can have we, we have a little bit more choice, but especially in an early stage. Uh, company it's very tough
0: Mm -hmm. no i I just added that in because it's it's an interesting side we've got about four minutes left three and a half Uh, final thoughts for our listeners on the world of entrepreneurship and i want to turn to you matthias actually because i think you've been in and out of it you know one coming after another after another give us some some of the feedback that you would give to any startup that you're looking at
4: well i gave already one should i give a second one. please as do. Well.
0: yes. Second two, even a third.
4: Maybe Antoine you have something or you can challenge me and then we have a good uh, discussion. <laughs> so I, th- I think
1: what, what I would um, I, I, I don't think we've been successful enough to give tips. So what I would like to do is just encourage people especially in Luxembourg. There is a very good ecosystem that is being, being built up. We have a lot of uh, institutes which are doing a lot of great research. We have Uh, good universities we have a little bit of lack of people willing to take a little bit of risk so maybe the government turns down a little bit on the salaries that they're paying their people and encourages (laughs) people in the private sector that are going to pay their pension uh, to also take a little bit of risk because I think that's very important that we as Luxembourg we come from the steel industry Uh, we then were moved more into services we have the chance as a small country to focus on very specified segments that we can be the best in so we should get back to that um, and also encourage the established companies to work with young companies. Um, so that would be more of a, a what I would a wish for the future. We have everything that we need. We just need to also sometimes take our own destiny into our hands and not just wait for someone else to take us on the ride.
0: So fewer functionnaires and more risk takers to pay the functionaries' pensions. Having
4: some perspective concerning like how government supports startups. In Luxembourg, government supports startups a lot. You get a lot of grants and support and help. So in that sense, Luxembourg is a very good place to found a company. But a very
0: expensive place to hire talent too.
4: It is, but if you get like double grants, maybe you can pay a bit higher salaries as well. So I wouldn't say that it's the worst place. It's one of the best places to found a startup. And you probably agree as well, even though it's good to challenge with the real estate stuff etc but no, I, I real estate think... might be expensive in some other places as well Luxembourg is not there alone
1: no, no that's w- what I'm saying is more we should use what we have and take a little bit more risk that's the quintessence mm.
3: yes and I think I would encourage anybody that wants to build a future that is exciting don't just dream about it build it do it uh, especially if you're young I mean you have the the world is open to you do something daring fail. That's fine. Then do it again, but do something exciting with your life. Life cannot only be about thinking about problems every day. Or yeah, (laughs) do something exciting.
0: I love that. I think we have.
3: Oh, but building up a startup is only about thinking
4: about (coughs) problems because we are solving
3: them. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes.
0: I was going to end on a positive note, Matthias. Honestly, you've just flipped it into problems. Yeah, yeah. But
4: we live here only once, so uh, this is. um, If you're passionate, this is a great way of being passionate and doing your own kind of a life. So if you have some kind of a sparkle, just go for it.
3: Yes. And we're all in in this life already. There's only one life. So do most of it.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for all of yours. And I have to just add a final note that I did say to Matthias at the beginning, you know, give us some of your sparkle. And and you said this is a Nordic person on sparkle. (laughs)
4: Something like
1: that, yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining me this week.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks.